When you stop and think about all that's going on today in the good old U.S. of A., you might just think that there are only two sides to every story. With over 327 million citizens, there are actually many more sides to our American story. On this program, I provide you with a different point of view, mine. This is The Truth Hurts, a program that hopefully will cause you to stop and actually think about the issues, the facts, and the general state of our American story. Well, good morning. It's June 29th, 2020. It's Monday. The day before, the day before, the beginning of the second half of 2020, a year that I think we can all agree has been in the toilet since January 1st. In New Orleans, Louisiana, there's a professional football team. And like every other team in this group of football teams, more millionaires have been created than just about any other business on planet Earth. Of course, you can also include a large league of baseball teams and a certain association of basketball teams and a handful of other sports organizations. And there's always Hollywood and the entertainment community. But in general, more millionaires are made playing a game than by going out and actually producing something useful, helpful, or meaningful. Of course, I can't mention the actual names of the teams or these organizations because I don't want to land in court and get sued, but I think my listeners are intelligent enough to understand to which teams and organizations I'm speaking. Secondly, this is not a comment on race, so please don't be ignorant. Please don't insult me with your dog whistle comments or your special code stupidity. In the game of football at the professional level, men, many of whom are barely capable of stringing together a coherent sentence, men who were passed on through social promotion in the educational system because they could run fast or catch a ball or knock someone over, these men are paid millions of dollars to play a game. Oh yeah, sure, you can say some of them have college degrees, but if you ask them to speak intelligently or intelligibly on a topic regarding the subject of their college degree, they will likely be wholly unable to do so. Social promotion has indeed allowed them to excel in the sport because they didn't have to worry about studying as they were passed year after year. Without football, many of these men would not be the millionaires they are today. Not all, but many. Listen to any interview of any football player, and generally you will see and hear a lack of intelligence, the inability to pronounce words correctly, flagrant grammar errors, and the incoherent ramblings of large-bodied five-year-old children. Now you might say, Oh, Steve, you're just jealous. You're envious of their millions because you get no game. I'm not jealous. I'm just pointing out some facts that diehard sports fans will argue just for the sake of arguing. Just like there are people out there who actually think that actors are worth millions of dollars for playing pretend, or singers and dancers are worth millions of dollars because they can sing a song. Fans of these people justify the millions of dollars not only in their words and adulation, but by supporting the products and services hawked by these so-called heroes. 
And when some cause comes around that the athlete or the entertainer's agent tells them is right or justified, the fans jump on the bandwagon and lockstep with the athlete or the entertainer and blindly support that cause. Sheeple. This is the Truth Hurts program. Here's your host, Steve Z. One of those popular football franchises, the team out of New Orleans, uses the image of a certain flower popular in France. They use that flower symbol on their uniforms, their helmets, their promotional items. The fleur-de-lis is a symbol of not only that professional sports franchise, but also by the basketball franchise owned by the same person who runs the football team. And ironically, it's also the symbol of the very city where those teams play their games, using the labor of athletes who are conditioned to perform physical functions for the owner. Hmm. The BLM crowd doesn't see this as a problem, yet. It is, however, a problem. If the BLM crowd truly seeks an end to symbols of white supremacy, then why are they not questioning the fleur-de-lis? Well, I hate to do this, but I feel in all fairness It needs to be done. When the African slaves were rounded up by African tribes and sold by African tribes through African slave traders, and they were shipped to what was being called the New World, the West Indies and the Americas, the purchasers of those African slaves, the purchasers, both black and white, would simply put a brand on their new property. Generally, they would take a branding iron with their symbol. They would heat that iron up to white hot, and then they would brand, burn that symbol, that brand, into the neck or the arm of their slave property. So they could identify their slave property if their slave property were to escape. A very popular brand burnt into the skin of black African slaves in the French settlements, especially in and around New Orleans, Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina. That very popular symbol was the fleur-de-lis. You heard me correctly. The symbol of a football franchise in New Orleans. The very symbol of the city of New Orleans and used throughout French communities in the South, and of course in France, was the fleur-de-lis. Fleur means flower in French. If a slave happened to run away and was caught, the slave owner could easily identify his property by seeing the fleur-de-lis branded into the skin of his slave property, and that property was returned to its owner a black slave owner or a white slave owner, no questions asked.
Sorry if you are offended, but the truth hurts. Here's your host, Steve Z. Each year, even with that kneeling player, the BLM movement, and all the other so-called social justice movements, that New Orleans football team, that New Orleans basketball team, and that city of New Orleans proudly display this horrific symbol of oppression in every single one of their marketing and promotional materials. The owner of the New Orleans teams, a prominent white gold digger whose ownership of the New Orleans football and basketball teams came after the death of her late husband, recently announced that she would be changing the name. No, not of the football team or the basketball team. She's going to be changing the name of the local, iconic brewing company. A signature beverage, a beer named for the slang term that identified the land south of the Mason-Dixon line as Dixie. Yeah, that beer. Because Dixie is allegedly a term synonymous with the days of slavery in the South. The former Dixie Chicks are now the Chicks. The Winn-Dixie grocery chain is going to change their name because, I guess, they don't want people to realize they're in the land of Dixie. And now the owner of this particular brewery wants to change the name of a beer. A beer that has been around for over a century. Because she, like many other rich white folks who see a potential threat to their legacy and to their empires, feel some false sense of injected white guilt. I wonder if she would be willing now to change the name of the football and the basketball teams. The symbols, at least the logos and the promotional materials and the uniforms and the helmets and the marketing and the literature to appease, appease 13% of the people. After all, how could you possibly allow the fleur-de-lis to remain on any product that you, a rich, very privileged white woman, has on your property? You, a woman who uses the size, the strength, and the physical abilities of well-bred athletes to continue to make you millions. The double standard continues. You're not going to like hearing this. After all, the truth hurts. Speaking of double standards, you may have not heard of Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson was a man alive in the United States in the middle 1800s. Anthony Johnson was a free black man, a free man of color, who owned slaves on his own small farm. Four of his slaves were white people, one was black you never hear about this. In fact, you never hear about many, if not any, of the black slave owners. In fact, in 1850, black people in Louisiana, Maryland, South Carolina, and Virginia alone 
owned as many as 10,000 slaves, many of which were of African descent. You can't hear about these people because it doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit the white cops kill black people narrative and the every white person was a slave owner narrative because it's simply not true. What people are scared to death to openly admit is that as much as there is a supposed white privilege in this country, there is certainly definitively and overtly displayed right out in front of you every day of every year something we don't dare speak of. Black privilege. He says out loud exactly what you are thinking. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. Yep, you don't dare say it out loud. You don't even dare whisper it. Because if you do, then you are a racist. You are a bigot. You don't dare speak its name in public because you don't have the stones, the balls, or the cojones. Oh sure, you'll talk about it with that one drinking buddy. Or the guy you speak to at break time. Quietly. Only after turning your head in both directions to make sure no one else can hear you. But you are thinking it, because it's true. And they can't read your thoughts, right? Not yet. Or can they? Anyway, it's there, staring you in the face. Black privilege. The thing you know to be true, but don't dare speak out loud. The massive percentage of people of a certain 13% of the American population who are on some form of government handout in the name of social programs, welfare, food stamps, or SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, Medicaid, CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, Social Security Supplemental Security Income, or SSI, WIC, the Women, Infants, and Children's Assistance, Aid for Dependent Children, Aid for Dependent Children. There's Section 8 Housing, Subsidized Housing Projects, Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Programs that'll pay your utility bills. There's Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, the TANF Program. You have Housing Projects and Developments, Summer Meals Programs, Summer Milk Programs, Head Start, free daycare, and then, of course, there are the other programs of falsified disability and crazy checks where they allow you to take your child in and have a so-called doctor look your child in the eye and you tell the child, no matter what I say, just start screaming and acting crazy. And Mama will get an extra $425 a month for each of you. Welfare was originally designed to offer a temporary stipend to assist people after the Great Depression. It was never intended to be a lifestyle. It was only intended to be about a six-week hand-up, 
not a handout. Like I said, it was never intended to be a lifestyle, yet some people have literally lived off the system for generations. After Katrina, when New Orleans was trying to revamp its public housing programs to better serve the community, a local news television station conducted an interview with a woman who was complaining that the New Orleans Housing Department's plans to demolish several housing developments or projects in New Orleans was not fair to her. The woman they interviewed was 45 years old. She had been living in the projects her entire life. Born at Charity Hospital, she lived in the St. Bernard Housing Project. So did her mom. So did her grandmother. So did her great-grandmother each with their own unit in the project. That's four generations alone. But wait, there's more. This 45-year-old woman also had a 30-year-old daughter who had her own place in the same housing development. And that woman had a 17-year-old daughter who had recently applied for her own unit in the same housing project. And by the way, that 17-year-old girl had children of her own. So in all, There were currently five generations with their own place and a sixth generation ready to move into her own unit on her 18th birthday. She had another generation behind that. And who paid for it? That's right. Ding, 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 ding. You can't mention it. I can. It was we, the people, the taxpayers, who paid for it. But back to the story. This woman went on camera and told the newsman that this was her place. She was basically invoking squatter's rights, claiming that, and I quote, y'all can't take me out of here. This is my home. This is my home. They tore down several housing developments in the New Orleans area. One in particular that they dismantled and destroyed and demolished was the Fisher Housing Development, the projects on the west bank of New Orleans. In its place, they built single-family dwellings and duplexes with nicely landscaped yards and fresh sidewalks and new streets. And they told the people, Congratulations, here's your new house. But you don't have to worry about anything because the housing authority will come in and cut the grass, edge the sidewalks, and do all the maintenance and upkeep. You'll never have to spend a dime. But do try and keep the trash out of the yards, okay? But, 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 But you don't have to. If you want to trash the place, it's okay, because we'll come by and pick up your trash off the lawns, too. Rent-free, maintenance-free. And if you ever drive through any of these developments, you will never see an Asian. You'll never see a Hispanic, and certainly not a Caucasian. Not one. So when you start talking about so-called white privilege, please make sure you also consider the fact that there is some black privilege out there. In your face. Every day. Steve Z, telling it like it is. If the census data is correct, and 13% of the U.S. population is black, and 16% is Hispanic, and 3% is Asian, and the remaining 65% is Caucasian. And if the 13% truly wanted equality, truly wanted fairness, 
then the process should be allocated fairly. Math does not lie. Figures do not lie. For the process to be allocated fairly, every company in the U.S. would have to be mandated to employ 13% black, 16% Hispanic, 3% Asian, and the rest would be white. Every team would be mandated to have 13% black players, coaches, and staff. Every television network would have to employ 13% black cast members, directors, producers. If they truly wanted fairness, that is. If they truly wanted equality. If they truly want justice. But if it were to be truly fair and truly just, truly color would have nothing at all to do with it. You would hire based on merit, ability, and performance metrics, not on skin color, not affirmatively, and not non-affirmatively. To be truly just, righteous, and fair, people of all races will have to admit things like the absence of fathers in certain communities lead to the problems. People of all races would have to admit that it is the predominance of handouts that reward people for not participating in the system that is the root cause of the problem. In elementary school, when a black child and a white child and an Asian child and a Hispanic child are all sitting in a classroom together, the teacher says, C-A-T spells cat, and one plus one equals two. You cannot tell me that there is racism there. Because there is no racism in math. There is no racism in spelling. None. Remember that hate breeds hate on all sides. When the white mom says, don't play with him, he's black. That is wrong. When the black mom says, don't play with him, he's white. That is wrong. That is racist. The problem is... When the white mom tells the black child, don't play with my white kid, that mom can be beaten, vilified, called a racist. But when the black mom tells her black child, don't play with that white kid, she's considered justified. And that's a problem. You see, until one side admits it and the other side admits it, instead of cowering down in fear, Instead of appeasing spoiled brat rioters, instead of educating everyone, there cannot be real, meaningful, effective, fair social change in this country. Because the double standard breeds hatred. The double standard causes more problems than it can ever hope to solve. And I'm sorry, folks, if that truth hurts you, but it is the truth. And as always, the truth hurts. And that's about all I have to say on this topic for now. Usually when all is said and done, much more is said than is ever done. But it is sometimes the doing that causes more harm than it does good. So go out and make a difference in the world. But whatever you do, make it a positive change, not a negative one. 
This is the Truth Hurts program, and we'll see you next time.